everyone we're back with the third episode of women and work why it matters brought to you by the international center for research on women and feminism in india we're your hosts i'm purnima hi i'm nilanjana and today we're going to talk about the informal economy and its relation with women and their work so nilanjana i've always wondered what exactly is the informal economy and who are these informal workers that we talk about Thanks Purnima for this question. I think all of us sometimes grapple with the idea of informal economy. It's very complex and it's very vague and we often use it very common sensically. Uh now based on what I've read and what I've worked on, I believe that uh, informal workers are all those workers who do not have security of jobs and no access to social security such as maternity leave, pension, insurance, and paid leave yes and as for informal workers they can be a part of the unorganized sector for instance construction workers domestic workers seasonal agriculture workers street vendors and daily wage laborers but they can also be part of the organized sector such as contractual security guards in universities and banks contractual ayas and nurses in hospitals contractual cleaners in schools etc thus it is the absence of a fixed tenure or social security that defines informality and not the place of work informal economy actually comprises of all of these workers absolutely in fact most women in paid work in india and all over the globe actually are usually informal workers in fact 75% of women workers in india are informal workers these workers are extremely vulnerable because they can be fired from their jobs at any point of time and have few fallback options as a result it's also quite difficult for them to organize and voice their demands even in situations of extreme exploitation and violation be it income or job loss sexual harassment or unsafe working conditions to discuss all of this in greater detail we have with us somebody really amazing we have with us dr neha wadwan who is our esteemed guest today Now Neha works at the International Labour Organization and is based at the New Delhi office since 2018. She is national project coordinator of the Work in Freedom program at the ILO, which is an integrated development cooperation program focusing on preventing trafficking of adolescent girls and women into forced labour conditions, especially with regard to domestic and garment work. She is a political scientist by training and holds a PhD in international politics from Jawaharlal Nehru University New Delhi. Her research interests center around issues of labor mobility, gender and citizenship in South Asia and she has carried out extensive research on gender and labor migration with a focus on domestic workers in South Asia over the past 15 years. She has also worked with many UN agencies as well as government of India and Nepal in different consultant capacities. to inform policy making on socio economic development labor migration and women's work welcome neha really really uh, you know honored to have you with us today hi nilanjana hi purnima thank you so much for having me it's a privilege to be here to talk to you about women's work thanks neha so let's uh, without wasting any more time let's just move directly into some of our key questions and key areas of inquiry today so one the first question that you know i'd like uh, to discuss with you is about why despite so many insecurities and challenges in informal work why do most of the women in india and around the world uh, you know end up in informal work why do you think this happens i think uh, if if we look at the uh, structure of the economy uh, in this country and in the developing context at large 
a lot of work opportunities are actually available in the informal economy. These are low-skilled, low-paying jobs. Uh, and often women find opportunities of work only in these sectors, right? Now, I think there are demand and supply challenges here that we must consider. There is a very high demand for decent work opportunities in India. But we also see that there are barriers uh, to accessing decent work and sustainable livelihoods for women, which are more when you compare them to men. Now, when I say decent work, I'm referring to ILO's definition of paid productive work in conditions of freedom, equality, security and human dignity. Now, in terms of the supply side issues, I think it's important to think about the important role played by patriarchal social norms, right, in defining how women engage with the labor market. And on top of it are layered issues of identity and culture, which we can see uh, manifesting in different ways, often uh, in discriminatory practices which result in differential access to education, skills, employment opportunities, and then stereotypes around what women are good at and what they are not good at, which then defines the demand also into certain sectors. On top of all of this, I think unpaid work plays a very important role in keeping women from seeking employment. Now, let me take the example of, uh, you know, the issue of mobility uh, outside the home, the community and the village when it comes to women is, is uh, restricted and negotiated, you know, because of their gendered positions. And in this situation, if I would like, if I can pick the example of trafficking, right, that which is something that we've been working on for many years now. Uh, the question to ask is, why do we use different standards for men in comparison to women? Because male migration is actually seen as more acceptable, right, compared to women's migration for work. Uh, the dominant discourse on anti-trafficking actually denies any agency, right, to women as workers and treats them as victims at, at best. So... What we can see also then in terms of the measures, right, to protect women from being trafficked, we see, you know, um, we see efforts such as uh, village level registration and surveillance, right, which may protect women, of course, from uh, meeting unscrupulous middlemen, but they also may prevent a woman facing violence at home or in the community from being able to escape that situation. So I think it's very important to see that uh, when we talk about encouraging women to participate in the labor market and we think about schemes and policies and interventions, they could actually have the opposite effect if they are not really, uh, you know, factoring in uh, what the gender norms are and what the results could be, which could be very different for men when it comes to comparing them to women. I hope that answers your question. It, it it does, Neha. Like Nilanjana mentioned earlier, and Neha, we've also talked about this in our earlier episodes as well. Women make up a significant amount of informal workers. And in the informal economy, which also includes the gig economy, they're often deprived of their worker rights. I mean, look no further than the recent case of Urban Company, you know, suing its own women workers. So Neha, I wanted you to talk about some of the key challenges and issues that informal women workers face and how, you know, they were aggravated, particularly during COVID. Okay, where do I start? Um, well, I think, you know, the very nature of the informal economy is such 
that it is actually sans benefits right when you compare it to the formal economy and this means to a very large extent the absence of social security benefits formal workers have access to esi pf uh, right so there is some kind of safety net which exists for formal workers uh, which is absent in the case of the informal economy now we see that even when schemes are available to women workers in the uh, you know to informal workers rather we see that women rarely access these schemes or can benefit from these schemes and again this sort of links back to what i was mentioning earlier right about the design of these schemes and interventions which might be well intentioned but sometimes they end up actually leaving women out or leaving them behind right so i think that's that's really important to consider a very uh, i think large challenge uh, in the informal economy is actually being able to identify you know who is working in the informal economy what is the data around these sectors and then this directly impacts policy making on this right so that if i take the example of domestic work uh, trade union, trade unions have been asking for a long time right organizations uh, of domestic workers have been demanding a comprehensive law for domestic work now such a law will actually help them help their work being recognized help them being recognized as domestic workers and then provide protection right against workers against violations that they can face as workers as well as provide them with a safety net uh, in in times of crisis or need now this is something that we have seen has been a long standing demand right but we can also see now with coming to covid that in sectors where this protection didn't exist were then therefore much more vulnerable right um and 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 the lack of numbers and the lack of reliable data on these sectors on the on on who constitutes these sectors what are the different minorities what are the different marginalized communities in this country that are actually absorbed in these sectors that are low skill low paying actually then impacts the kind of crisis response that can also be there right now i think on the outset let me also say that it this was an unprecedented challenge faced by governments and if we go back to when you know the pandemic sort of broke uh there was very little that we knew about the covid-19 virus and and how it will spread and what will be its impact right but we did see that some of the the lockdown measures that governments took across the world not just in in the indian case did meet with a lot of criticism uh because of the way they were implemented or the the i think the unintended impact they really had on the informal economy now coming to india i mean i think uh in the reportage that we saw around the pandemic you know we've seen this migrant worker crisis really uh which which sort of you know was staring at us at in our faces and some of us who've been working on migration studies for a while have been saying this but it i didn't i don't think it had actually caught the attention of policy makers in the way it did right so i think while schemes like the one nation one ration card uh you know and and other interventions by the government are very welcome uh but it remains to see how they will be implemented and how the very nature of informal economy uh is is perhaps going to prevent uh, a proper implementation of these schemes i also say this because i think the nature of the informal economy is such that women workers or you know 
even male workers they switch sectors so a construction worker today could be a domestic worker tomorrow and because of the nature of the informal economy which absorbs and pushes you out from one sector into the other how do these schemes which are sector specific then right really benefit workers so i think it's important to think of schemes and of of interventions which which again factor in the conditions that we are dealing with and some of the structural constraints that we see uh you know staring at us uh, in our face now i can also say this that in 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 the within the informal economy i think there were differences because there's so much of legislation on the construction work sector there was some sort of a safety net and there could be uh you know an outreach to construction workers specifically because of that it remains to be seen how many uh, women construction workers actually benefited from these schemes right but at the same time i think because there was no not strong legislation available or because there wasn't uh thought put into or enough thought put into perhaps creating certain safety nets we could see the pandemic actually destroy livelihoods right now women workers have reported non payment of wages they've reported job loss and they've also reported how they've had to go back to work in a in a situation where the return to work conditions are unilaterally imposed uh by employers right we had a recent report that was published as part of our ILO program which talked about domestic workers having to face this completely unilateral imposition of conditions of you know how sanitization should take place what are the kind of uh you know what 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 are the levels of cleanliness that have to be maintained and the fact that a lot of these uh interventions can actually be detrimental to the physical and mental well-being of the worker herself right was is not really something that has been uh factored in to some of these some of the messaging that has taken place and some of the i think the the steps that have been taken place to really uh protect uh you know all of us against uh, the covid-19 virus i think it's also in- important to note here that informal sector workers and you know domestic workers again are seen as carriers of virus right because of the conditions they live in because of the the kind of working conditions also they deal with but we can clearly see in this case that it was not really workers that uh took the virus perhaps to employers homes but it could have been the other way around right and i think it's important to fa- to really think hard about how much of vulnerability uh we are actually exacerbating when it comes to some of the living and working conditions of these workers going forward that's very very important neha thanks so much for pointing out some of these really important points and you mentioned the fact that you know some of these workers over a period of time have been demanding certain kinds of safety nets have been divine you know demanding certain kinds of protect, protect protection and the absence of these safety nets and protection actually led to complete breakdown of livelihoods or breakdown of overall survival conditions carrying on with this thought i was just wondering that you know over the last couple of decades or more what kind of organizing have we seen especially in the context of women informal workers and what are some of the key issues that have been raised maybe they've also made some wins there have been some achievements of this kind of organizing could you reflect a little bit on that sure uh 20 years is a is a long time period to reflect on but without 
trying to make any sweeping remarks i think it's it's been fantastic to see the levels of unionization today amongst informal sector workers and women workers right um i think in the last two decades we hear about these sectors there's much more media reportage a lot of that has been only possible because of workers themselves raising their voices you know talking about their demands talking about their living conditions and asking for the freedom of association asking for the right to collective bargaining being ensured so i think in the last 20 years i would say uh, the increased recognition of the need for international labor standards to be applied across sectors of the informal economy right and efforts at the international level as well as at the local level to galvanize uh support right for these demands i think has really uh been a big win there is of course a lot to be done but i think the sheer visibility that we see today is definitely a step forward i think another important aspect is this whole debate on you know the uh the participation the low workforce participation rates in the indian scenario as well and i think that again has brought attention of policy makers uh of of the governments to try and see what can be done um uh, to really actually so i think research as well as i think movement on the ground right uh workers raising their voices on the ground has really shed light on on the need to actually create these safety nets i think another big win i would say is the awareness around the importance of preventing sexual harassment and violence in the workplace right I think sexual harassment we have a big win in the, in in the in the enactment of the Prevention of Sexual Harassment Act right uh and and the implementation of it as well where in within its ambit it now includes domestic workers so the workplace you know which which I think needs to be regulated uh we have seen how trade unions have been very I think interestingly and through slow but steady work you know try to activate local complaints committees and try and see how informal sector women workers can actually find their voices uh within these these grievance redressal systems but i think the question of violence in the workplace remains uh, a, a lot of you know questions around gender based violence do remain and how it actually impacts women's participation in the economy so i think going forward we have we have uh, you know an uphill task in terms of building on the momentum that we've got in the last two decades but i think you know our our struggles have really just started because i think we're a long way off in terms of being able to uh make social security for informal women workers uh, a reality in in our context so i think there've been some wins there's been greater visibility but there's a lot that remains to be done uh i think you were right in saying neha that you can't uh, summarize what has happened in the last uh, 20 years but i think now that we've talked about uh, laborers organizing i want to talk about how sometimes their demands are to their employers and sometimes to the state so what do you think has been like the state's response to workers and their demands for better working conditions and social security and what has specially been the impact of covid-19 policy response on informal women workers right so i think uh it's important to consider the fact that 
when we talk about the state response i think what has been very welcome is that there have been surveys initiated by the government of india to look at certain sectors uh, where women uh, you know are employed in high numbers so we do have the hope of more data emerging as we go forward right we've also seen how some states and workers organizations in some states have really i think you know led by example and i'm saying this uh, to give you the example of say the states of kerala and tamil nadu where uh, you know unions and workers basically organized themselves and asked for compensation which they received now in other states they didn't receive this compensation one time compensation but in these two states they did and they did so because uh, precisely because of the demands that were raised by these workers right now i think in terms of articulating demands to employers and to the state there's one important aspect to consider because of the nature of the informal economy uh, informal workers tend to be employed by more than one employer sometimes or they shift or switch employers right now this because the switching can be um, at very short time intervals right uh, i think the strategy has been overarching strategy has been to ask the state for protection as citizens as workers and because of that we've had sector specific laws in the past uh, that were passed right to protect workers within specific sectors and ensure decent uh, working conditions to them right and wages and 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 certain benefits but what we must i think delineate here that what is it that the employer should provide and what is it that the state should provide and i think it's for all of us to reflect upon collectively in terms of our strategies going forward um and especially i think again you know bringing the covid-19 crisis and reflections from this experience in what is it that employers can do and i think in the short term the employers could do a lot and we do hear exceptional cases of benevolent employers uh you know reaching out to their uh, to the workers but the problem with such an approach is that these are f- very few uh in in a large majority of employers that tend to be exploitative of in- informal sector workers right so i think there needs to be a balance in terms of what we ask from the state uh in terms of social security benefits and should we be asking for these uh benefits as workers or as citizens of this country right and then what is the set of demands that we should actually uh, target the employer for so i think together with this the fact that and, and and again i think regulating the workplace is is case in point because we know how many women are employed in home based work we know how many women are employed in domestic work right anecdotally of course we don't have concrete numbers and i think the guesstimates that we have um are i think uh, you know pretty um i think they would i would say they are conservative estimates uh, which are available to us right so in such a context how do we strategize how do we balance and how do we see what must be demanded from the state and what the state can give right and the state can give you opportunities to skill opportunities to break gender stereotypes right in terms of what sectors you manage to enter opportunities of education opportunities of actually having some kind of insurance or fallback option available to you if you lose work but i think a lot of uh, 
the the working conditions onus does lie on the employer and i think as we go forward it's important to strategize uh you know um i think complementarily in terms of how these two approaches would work this has been really a fantastic discussion and i'd really like to go on and on but we are constrained by time so we are nearly near the ending uh, at the end of our conversation and i just like to quickly highlight some of the very very important things that i think uh, you said during our conversation today and i'd like to begin by saying that you know you pointed to the fact that there are both demand side and supply side constraints which often lead women to with no other option but to enter informal work so be it your uh, social cultural location your lack of access to education and skills or the gender norms that are guiding you or let's say that lack of availability of decent work in the market you know whether it is this or that ultimately to earn a living you have no other option but to enter a space which again as you said is sans benefits so the nature of informal work is such that it is sans benefits or sans safety net it does not have the safety net that's a defining feature and given this often a lot of the organizing or the demand for decent work has been with relation to the state because as you also said that you know informal work is also the very nature of work is such that people are also often switching jobs there is no one identifiable employer you either have multiple employers or you're moving between jobs etc so often the demand is with the state to get some protection but here again as you very rightly mentioned while there are certain very very well intentioned and well designed policies and schemes sometimes women are unable to access this because of the way this is implemented and also because sometimes one doesn't know really who the worker is it's difficult i think the first step as you mentioned is the recognition of women as worker i mean if it's a domestic worker first is to sort of count that person as a domestic worker recognize that person as a as a domestic worker and then she can access some of the benefits that are available and in that i feel covid-19 Uh, has also been an uh, been a kind of eye opener because as you said like due to the huge migrant crisis and where a lot of people men and women migrant workers and they are all informal workers traveling back home because of the loss of livelihoods loss of security there's been a lot of attention on the conditions of work and the, on the kind of uh, vulnerabilities they have faced and so something that researchers and even some of the policy makers have been talking about now it's actually become something very central to our economy and we do hope that going forward keeping in mind the nature of informal work we'll have certain kinds of schemes and policies which encourage women's participation in work which encourage decent work but which also protect women from these kinds of vulnerabilities and offer them some kinds of kinds of protections i really like the fact that you know you know despite a lot of these challenges we do see many women workers coming and organizing themselves over the last three uh, last two decades and there have been significant wins and i think the state and 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 also other parties i mean they have been involved in trying to create a more enabling space for women workers so be it the sexual harassment at workplace that that law which also includes informal workers such as domestic workers or be it the demand for uh, applying international standards of decent work to the workplace 
I think these are some extremely important issues that have been addressed or raised and where the struggle is still ongoing. And I feel that you know what is what gives us hope is that uh somewhere uh there is from the ground a lot of recognition that we need to claim some of these rights as workers as citizens and also from the side of the state or employers there's a recognition that these are real issues which need to be engaged with and people are trying to find a path uh through this very very complex domain of informal work and its attendant challenges so i think i'll end it there uh, today thank you so much neha it's been lovely talking to you and uh, really they are very very important insights that you have provided uh, especially in terms of you know some of the questions that we are still asking ourselves that uh, do we demand rights as citizens or as workers do we, we want protection but we also want encouragement to move jobs to move from villages to cities or cities to cities or cities to villages we want safe migration not prevention of mobility so i think these are some very important questions that we are all trying to negotiate over to you purnima yeah no no lanz i think you've summarized our discussion today you know perfectly but before we end today's episode i would just like to take a moment to thank you neha for joining us today and giving us the chance to talk to you i think it was great talking to you today thanks purnima and thank you nilanjana for uh, you know again this this opportunity to share you know some learnings from what i have seen in the field and the people that i have met uh, and i think it's really important to carry on these conversations so it's been a real pleasure being here and i look forward uh, to having more of these conversations with you in the future and working together on some of these issues thanks Also, Neha, where do you think our listeners can find more information about your work at the ILO or the research that you've mentioned? Purnima, I'll be happy to share the link of uh, you know the project website that I'm associated with, the Work and Freedom Program at the ILO, uh, where people can access policy briefs, research publications, uh, you know, links to conversations on on informal women workers uh, that we have organized. um you know and and more information on the ILO itself in terms of the international standards and the conventions work that me and my colleagues do um for the betterment uh you know of of workers and and to sort of uphold decent work but i also have an i, I have an academia.edu page and i'll be happy to share that link with you which has my publications and other information listed and i'll be happy to respond uh to any of your listeners to contact me on academia.edu thank you awesome so i'll listeners you'll find all of these links in the description of the podcast on your favorite streaming platforms and you know what to do then uh before we go just a small reminder don't forget to subscribe but most importantly rate women in work white matters on your favorite podcast streaming platforms Uh, the Women in Work White Matters podcast series is part of the Rebuild COVID-19 and Women in the Informal Economy project. The study is being carried out in Kenya, Uganda and India by the International Center for Research on Women with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the International Development Research Center. This podcast is brought to you by the International Center for Research on Women and Feminism in India. You can find out more about ICRW's work on their website. 
www.icrw.org/asia and find them on Twitter on Facebook at icrwasia. You can also find out more about FII on www.feminisminindia.com or follow FII on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at feminisminindia. Bye bye and we will see you again in the next episode.